Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. In 1956, there was this guy named uh, Jim Elliott, who, him and his wife Elizabeth, they went to Ecuador. They went to these people called the Acunas, right? The Acunas were a tribe in Ecuador that were very violent. Um, They were a very isolated people group. And as they um, went out there, they went with four other guys, um, Nate St., Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, and Roger Udren. Now, these guys all went out there uh, knowing the dangers and, and knowing the cost that was going to come with it. Um, they went out there. They flew out there in this small little itty-bitty plane that I would never have gotten to ever. I don't think I could fit in it. Um, but they flew out there with food, um, with Bibles, with material um, to help these people out and so that would aid them in sharing the gospel. So they flew out there on January 8th of 1956 and while making contact with these people um, he they actually um, radioed back at about 4 30 in the afternoon hey we've made contact we're really excited to see what god's going to do and that was the last we heard of them Um, they found them a couple days later with spears in their back and elizabeth knew at that time that she was a widow and that her daughter would never have a dad she would never know him So Elizabeth could have had several very intense reactions. My first reaction would be to go get all my guns and go down to Ecuador and find out who did what. That would be my reaction. Elizabeth's reaction was completely different. Elizabeth actually got to know the Acunas. She lived with them. She ate monkey with them. Why she would eat monkey? I don't know, but she did. She loved on them. She got to know them. And as she got to know them, she was able to share the gospel with them. And as she shared the gospel with them, people started, their lives started to change. And what we started to see was a people group that absolutely was on the other aspect of, of knowing uh, a loving God. And actually, where they were, it was into an eternal um, destiny of hell being uh, suffering the wrath of God. Instead, Elizabeth walked into their lives knowing that they had just killed her husband and said, hey, I want you to know the living, breathing, almighty God that can save you from an eternity that you don't want any a part of and into an eternity that you will feel love, grace, peace. That's what Elizabeth did. She actually shared the Gospel with this, one of the first men to, to receive the, um, Jesus was this guy named Minke. Now, Minke was the man who uh, initially greeted um, the first four missionaries that walked out. Uh, And he was the one who speared Nate Saint and Ed McCulley. If you don't think the gospel has power, this story alone should allow you to see that the gospel has power. We're actually going to be talking about suffering today. Responding to godly suffering. What is that? look like? How do we address it? How do we go about living our lives in accordance to persecution and suffering? So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13. We'll go through verse 18. Um, Max so graciously took um, 19 in the rest of the chapter, and he'll be covering that this evening. Starting in verse 13, it says this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So how do we act or react when we suffer for righteousness? And the first point is simply this, and there's six of them. It's necessary to have a passion for goodness. So number one, it's necessary to have a passion for goodness. Verse 13 clearly states, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? See, it's really hard to hate somebody who's doing good things, right? Like your mom who, who like cleans your room for you and you, you didn't expect it. It's pretty good. I miss that. Those people down in Houston who needed food and water and clothing and they needed to be rescued when Harvey came in. It har- it's really hard to hate those people who are coming to, to bring you things and to help you out. When Katrina happened and the outpour of love that our nation so graciously gave to the the city of New Orleans, when 9-11 happened and when those uh, tsunamis hit Thailand and India and Japan, it's hard to hate people that are nice to you. Like, it's really difficult. I don't know if you know Chris McKinnon, like the nicest guy in the whole world. It's really hard to hate Chris, okay? Like, Chris is so so nice. So it's, it's really difficult to hate good people, nice people. And our response to any type of suffering or persecution should always be one of goodness and passion and kindness. It should never be bitterness. It should never be a defensive attitude. It should never be resentful. But sometimes we get in that position where we get persecuted or we get kind of backed into a corner and our immediate reaction is to respond in a resentful or defensive attitude. Guys, we have to have a passion, a passion, a desire for goodness. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5 says this, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. We never need to have a vengeful or vindictive spirit when we suffer for the Gospel or we are persecuted for the Gospel. Ever. We should have a passion for goodness. The second necessary is this. It's necessary to have a willingness to suffer. Verse 14 clearly states, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. See, even if you're the most kind, loving person on the face of the planet, you must, have a, you must be willing to suffer for it. Miss Loydell, I don't know if y'all know Miss Loydell. Y'all know her? She's awesome. I went to Acuna with Miss uh, Miss Lloydell. I don't know if she's in here. I hope she's not. I told her I would pay her if I used her name again. Um, so when we went down to Acuna, what was really cool uh, was I got to sit next to her. And, you know, I showed up that morning and I was like in jeans and just like a short shirt because I was like, we're going to Mexico and it's going to be hot and I'm, I'm going to be smart. Yeah, it was freezing. So uh, Miss Liddell was gracious and she gave me her blanket. Uh, Chris and I are getting ready for D now. 
and just all the computer nonsense that, you know, that first month of uh, being in a new job presents all those difficulties. Uh, Miss Liddell has been so gracious and kind uh, to come alongside of us. But even as awesome and as gracious and as good and as kind as Miss Liddell is, I just want you to know she is going to endure suffering and persecution, not because of who she is, but because of the God that she represents. And that applies to us as well. As believers, we must be understand and be willing to suffer for the Gospel because that is what we are called to do. Christ suffered for us, so why are we not going to offer, even see it as a privilege to suffer for Him? We must be willing to suffer. And suffering is not a new thing. Suffering is not something that we just kind of randomly happened upon in this passage. Uh, Peter is actually writing this to a group that is suffering. So it's not an unknown thing. It's not something that we're going to blow us off course or anything like that. But we must have a willingness to do that. He actually talks, Peter actually talks about it earlier in 1 Peter in chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. It says this, for, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, Christ is our example. Not only was his death redemptive for us, but it was also an example of how to suffer the unjust. It was also an example of how to suffer the unjust. See, Christ's death and that whole issue, that passion that he suffered, was incredible. Never once in that whole entire thing did he say, you know what, guys, stop this, I'm done. I'm, I don't know if you know who I am. I'm God, so can we just stop this? Or breathe a breath out and kill all of these people? No, he didn't. He suffered so that you and I could have a relationship with him. And I think it's amazing that we sit back and He is our example. He's our redemption and our example of how we should live our lives on a day-to-day basis. When we suffer for the, for the Gospel, we are blessed. Notice what Peter says in uh, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. See, we're not blessed on some earthly level or some possession givings or, you know, if you uh, suffer for for God, um, you're going to receive all this money or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm actually talking about is an eternal blessing of glory and righteousness and eternal life. Now, with those things, when we're, we're blessed, we need to understand that it's not we that we're that we're serving ourselves that we're actually serving king jesus matthew 5 10 says this blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you here's the deal guys We are privileged to take blows for Christ. We are privileged to encounter persecution. We are privileged to encounter suffering. The gospel is much more important than you and I. I'm just going to be honest with you. The eternal destiny of people rests in how we represent it to other people. 
when we talk to other people, it, it needs to be an understanding that, hey, we're going to suffer. We may go through different types of pain. We may go through uh, times where we're going to suffer in, in, in odd and ca- in crazy ways. But here's the deal. If we are not sharing the gospel, if we're not doing it the right way, if we're not sharing it with peace and passion and compassion, we need to understand that that is the real blessing that we're trying to give out to people. It's not the blessings that we're receiving. It's the blessings that we're giving out so that the Holy Spirit can move and so that people's lives can be changed. The third thing is this. It's necessary to have a focus on Christ. Verse 15 says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared Make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. See, we have a, we have a choice to fear persecution and suffering. Uh, yet Peter tells us to focus on Christ, to adore Christ. Even before he even tells us to make a defense, the first thing that he actually tells us to do is to what? To focus on Christ. You know, it's really easy to focus in on something. Um, you know, we've gotten really good at, at, at living our world um, six inches away from our face. It's really easy to focus on that. For Christ, the same thing should be, it should be the same thing in, in a Christian's life. Our focus should be Christ. It shouldn't be our cell phone. It shouldn't be society. It shouldn't be what society tells us. It shouldn't be all these other distracting things. It should actually be completely and utterly focused on Him so that when persecution does arrive, so that when suffering does arrive, that we don't take our eyes off the one that can save us from it or the one that's going to help us endure through it. It's so that we understand and love and appreciate those that are actually doing the suffering and persecution to us. Let's think about that for a second. When we talk about suffering being geared toward us, we need to understand that there are many, many things in this world that are horrible and awful. We must be able to focus on Christ during those sufferings and those persecutions. He's our goal. He's where our love and our loyalty lie. So there's uh, a couple of different um, instances here in this world where we have to take stands like against social injustice, abortions, gay marriage, and many other societal issues that we must be ready to defend ourselves against. And guys, society, I don't know if you know this, society is not getting better, it's getting worse. And we're encountering more and more persecution, um, not very openly, but more of an informal persecution on a day-to-day basis where we're inundated with things that were said, hey, this is okay, this is fine, this is how life should be. And when Christians, my brothers and sisters, we need to take a stand. And I'm not just talking about taking a stand at church. At work, when you encounter people taking a stand saying, I do not stand for this, and here's why. Because let me tell you something, those people that are, you're taking a stand against, they don't know the gospel. They don't know who Jesus Christ is. And if we're standing there and we're just saying, hey, that's fine, instead of sharing the gospel with them and allowing their hearts to be changed, we are not taking a stand for our faith. We're not defending the one who gave us eternal life. There are brothers and sisters across the world right now who are defending themselves in courtrooms that are rigged, obviously, and they're being told, hey, you need to, you're, you need to deny Christ and, and, and follow this other faith or we're going to kill you. Here in the States, we, we face more of an informal 
questioning of our faith. Why do you live that way? Why do you have moral views that you do? Why do you follow the, the Bible? Man, those are questions that we should look to and, and be able to answer. So guys, when we are giving a defense for the hope that we have, it's not only a mind thing, but it's also a heart thing as well. So that when we give that defense, we have answers. But what is the hope that we have? That hope that we have is the eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. Pure and simple. That's what it is. And other people don't know it. Peter's very wise in how he ends that verse. In verse 16, uh, or in verse 15, I'm sorry. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. Um, I think it's very interesting that we look at the darkness um, and people that don't know Christ as our enemies. You know, people that persecute you and, and cause suffering in your world, we see them as enemies, do we not? And, and as, you know, a, as a believer, we, we, what we really need to see them as, as we engage the enemy, is not to destroy them, not to see utter destruction upon their life, but yet are to win them over into a loving relationship with Christ. Let that sink in. They're not, while they're our enemies, we need to understand that they need to be saved just as much as you need to be saved. Because the Bible tells us that we were enemies unto God before we came into a loving relationship with Christ. So when we come into contact people, when we endure them, when we talk to them, especially enduring persecution or suffering, allow them to know that you love them just as much as Christ loved us in enduring that hope. Fourth thing is this, it's necessary to have a pure conscience. Verse 16 says this, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. We all know those people that are really good at making you feel bad or guilty or whatever. My sister is like really good at that. Um, but we all know those people, right? But you cannot feel bad or guilty or anxious, or fearful, or shameful, or anything like that, if what, how you act by yourself, how you act alone, is the same person that you present in public. Your conscience is clear. There's nothing that they can condemn you about. There's nothing that they can come after you about. So when you go to profess your faith, and they try and bring something against you, they slander you, you can sit there and rightfully say, hey, I have nothing to be ashamed of. But here's the thing. If you're living a lie, if your conscience isn't clear, anxiety and fear are going to infest your life. It's going to infest your life. And here's what I'm talking about. It's you go to share the gospel, but somebody brings something up about what you've done or how you've lived or how you acted. And the response is then, oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, you're right. I, I'm, your gospel presentation, your witness becomes weaker, even though you're trying to do as best as you can. But that fear and that anxiety, if you're living a lie, it really, really hurts your witness. But we need to have a, a clear conscience. Romans 2.15 says this, and I think this is one of my favorite verses now. Conscience is a device that either excuses or accuses you. Conscience is a device that either excuses or accuses you. The fifth point, the fifth necessity is this. It's necessary to know that suffering is coming. Verse 17 says this very clearly. 
For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Suffering is coming. Persecution is coming. It is, if you don't think that, if you don't believe that, you, you probably just need to watch the news for about five minutes. Suffering and persecution for Christians is coming, and it's going to be violent, and it's going to be horrible, and it's going to be just this terrifying instance. But here's the deal. Throughout knowing that, even though knowing that it's coming, we have an understanding of who Jesus Christ is and who He is in our lives. And He must be real. Here's the deal. We're, we're aliens in a foreign land, are we not? Do y'all not feel that way? It's awkward. Christianity is like you join a club and then you're like the weird kid in school, right? We're that weird kid in, in a foreign land trying to walk around, trying to share this, this gospel for people to hear. And it's awkward and it's weird. And so when persecution comes and it's coming, we just need to be ready to know that it's coming. And here's the last thing for the sixth necessity. It's necessary to know that we have hope. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Listen guys, we have hope because of who Jesus Christ is. We have hope because He was mocked, beaten, scorned, crown of thorns placed on His head and shoved into His scalp, that He was drugged across up onto the hill of Golgotha, nailed to that, that cross, then leveled into that hole, and then hung there until He bled every last ounce. But that wasn't, that wasn't the end, was it? They placed Him in a tomb, and three days later, He rose defeating sin and death. And it gets better, right? He ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father. Guys, we know how the story ends, right? If you've read your Bible, you know how it all goes down. We know that we win in the end because of the power, not because of anything that we've done, but because of the power of Jesus Christ, right? We have redemption. We have hope because of Him. There is nothing else that matters. The end of the book is written. We know that we win, and it's awesome. So when you suffer persecution, you suffer any type of injustice towards you as a believer, understand that at the very end of the day, we have hope. We know where we're going when we're dying. We know how this is going to end. So take hope in who He is. I'll leave you with this thought. When we encounter persecution, we should encounter it with the love of Christ. The agape love. Love of the unlovable. Love of the unlovable. There are people out in this world that want to destroy you, that want to see you suffer, that want to persecute you, come after you because you're a Christian. The best thing that you can do is share the love of Christ with them. Thank you again for listening to audio from Glenmeadows Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.